Wonderful to worship with you in the house of the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And our focus today is going to be on um, 16 through 24. 16 through 24. I'm going to read from verse 11. Let's stand for the inspired word of the living God. So I ask, beginning at verse 11, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, It is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. Let's read two more verses. 
Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Let's stop there. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and authoritative and loving and gracious word to his people. You may be seated. Our Father, we praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus came from heaven to earth and lived a life of perfect obedience, died as the perfect Lamb of God substituting His life for ours, taking our sin upon Himself, being put in the tomb and rising again and ascending to the right hand of God. We thank You, Lord, for all of the blessings of His victory, His present ascension. And we also thank You that in His majesty and grace, He is with us now as very God of very God. May we worship Him, the One who won our salvation. Speak to us, Lord. And lift our hearts away from our sin unto Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. In the preaching of the Word this morning, you and I are about to be disciplined so that we will manifest true Christian humility. That's our lesson today. And the inspired apostle uses admonition, warning, and correction to move us God's beloved children into the right direction of Christian humility. You may have heard a a thousand messages on this subject, but the urgency of this message is somewhat different this morning because it's specifically written to us Gentiles. Remember what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is inspired, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Well, you have my permission to tune out this morning only if you believe that you have no need for correction in your life. 
but I know you better than that. To put today's passage into context, throughout chapters 9, 10, and half of 11, we have learned over and over and over again that God is not finished with the Israelites as a people and that they fit squarely into God's gracious covenantal plans. Paul, I believe, is teaching us in Romans 11 that we can expect many Jews to come to faith in the Jewish Messiah and come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with us, rejoicing and worshiping. Well, it's been three weeks since I've preached in the Epistle of Romans. Last week, we enjoyed a very special family celebration with the baptism of Aaron Lee Thornton. Two weeks ago, it was a snow day, and I preached a special message on God's wrath and how that ties into the Lord's Supper. And that was the same day that Stellar Knox Friesen was born. But three weeks ago in our Roman study, we learned, among other things, that Paul looked forward to a time when many Jews would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So many that it would be like life from the dead for the church. Well, Paul was thrilled. His feet were off the ground. And he was full of hope about this revelation. But that did not keep him from praying and laboring for the salvation of the Jews. And that's because God uses means. He uses us to fulfill his purposes. In fact, Paul says in verse 13, Gentiles, listen up. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And he could have gone on to say, For your sake, I have been shipwrecked, beaten with rods more than once, and much worse. And I give glory to God for it. But I want you to know something. I want you to know that I magnify magnify my ministry with you Gentiles in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous so that the result is their salvation. And that brings up the reason why the Apostle Paul gets very strong with the Gentile Christians, admonishing them, warning them, and correcting them. And I plan to use those three, those as my three points. The reason Paul gets very strong with them and disciplines them is because they were not manifesting true Christian humility toward the Jews, and so there wasn't anything for the Jews to be jealous about. We must be superior, the Gentiles thought, since God had cut many, many Jews off because of unbelief and had grafted many Gentiles in with the rest through faith in Christ. Well, a better than thou attitude was not how Paul 
wanted to magnify his ministry. It's kind of hard, don't you think, to be jealous when you're rubbing up against the sandpaper of pride? Quickly look at the end of verse 12, where Paul talks about how much it's going to mean when the full inclusion of the Jews into Christ's church becomes a reality. That's at the end of verse 12. And now jump from verse 12 to verse 25 where the Apostle Paul talks about all Israel being saved. That's the flow of the passage. From verse 12 to 25. But what Paul does in between those verses is he pauses to address the problem of pride among the Gentiles. Before he begins formally admonishing them, and us by extension, by the way, he uses an illustration from the Old Testament to say once again that God is not finished with the Jews as a people. Verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This is an Old Testament worship principle from Numbers 15 that Paul applies to help us Gentiles to see here in this context that what that if what God began in his gracious covenantal endeavors with Abraham and the Jewish patriarchs was set apart as holy, then the whole lump is holy. Which is to say, God is not finished with the Jews as a people and the rest of the dough is guaranteed to come in. Paul goes on. If the root is holy, the root is the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness that comes to all of God's chosen people by way of God's covenant with Abraham. If the root is holy, Paul says, so are the branches that grow out of the root. As we go through this passage, it is very important to keep in mind that Paul is speaking in covenantal terms and covenantally the visible church in both the Old and New Testaments is a mixture of believers and non-believers. Very important to keep in mind as we go through this passage that the Apostle is speaking covenantally. And covenantally, the visible church throughout the ages has always, by God's design, been a mixture of believers and non-believers. Remember what he taught us in Romans 9, verse 6? It is, and this is in regard to the Jewish apostasy, He said, it is not as though the word of God has failed. 
for not all who are descended from Israel really belong to Israel. Just because they were from his Abraham's physical descent did not mean they were children of Abraham spiritually by faith. Not all Israel is Israel. The same is true in the church today. The church is a mixed community of believers and non-believers set apart unto God. For example, and this is just one example, the children of believers in the Old Testament were given the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and brought into the visible church with their believing parents. Well, today we baptize the children of believers and bring them into the church with their parents. God brings the whole family into the church and embraces the whole family. Well, many, and I think that we can trust that most of these children will make their baptism a reality by later in their lives professing faith in Jesus Christ. But sadly, sadly, some will not. And they will eventually be cut off from the church. You see, not all in the visible church are resting in the sufficiency of Christ alone for their salvation. It's a mixed community, and that's why you can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 17 and in the first part of verse 18. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot that is not formally a part of God's covenantal blessings in the Old Testament, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree and its covenantal blessings in Christ. Do not be arrogant toward the branches that were broken off. Do you hear the admonishment? That's what Paul does first of all. He admonishes. Do not be arrogant toward the branches that were broken off. And this begs the question, what kind of attitude should you and I have toward those who were raised in the church and have turned away in unbelief? Paul says, don't be arrogant toward them as if you are somehow better. If you are arrogant, Paul says, remember, it is not you who support the root. The root supports you. Which is to say, you are as a Christian flowing out of the goodness and grace of Christ, the covenant keeper. You have not been grafted into the covenantal blessings because of anything good within you or because of anything that you have done. 
It's all because of the grace and mercy of God in Christ. You know, one of the reasons Paul was such and is such still today for us a, an excellent teacher is because he knew his audience and he anticipated their response. Verse 19, then you will say to me, Paul says, yeah, but branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true, Paul says. The Jews crucified their Messiah. They rejected him. And the gospel, because of that, spread beyond the borders of Israel and into the uttermost parts of the world. But listen. They were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand fast through faith and true saving faith if you have paid any attention at all to my letter, Paul is saying up to this point. True saving faith is the gracious gift of God to radically depraved, undeserving sinners. Faith is a product of your salvation. You would have never come out of your unbelief were it not for God graciously calling you, regenerating you to new life, and enabling you to believe. So how can your attitude toward those who have squandered their spiritual privileges in the visible church be one of arrogance? Your engrafting is entirely a matter of grace. Grace, grace. Dear friends, that's why you should never forget the biblical principle. There, but by the grace of God, go I. This will keep you humble. It's not just a saying. It's a biblical principle found on almost every page of God's Word. There but by the grace of God go I. You look at the drug addict. There but by the grace of God go I. You look at anybody you want. There but by the grace of God go I. And if you don't believe that biblical principle then you are one of those Christians that thinks when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to say, the reason I'm in heaven and the, and the ones who are in hell are in hell is because I was good enough to choose Christ and they weren't. Indeed, my choice supports the root. That's utter foolishness. How do you view the beautiful Jews today who need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and maybe even closer to home? How do you view fellow family members, blood relations who were raised in the church 
but never truly believed? Have you cut them out from your love because of their sin? Is their sin so bad that you have cut them out of your love? If someone else that you didn't know were to come to you with sin that bad, surely you would love them and try to lead them to Christ. How do you view those in your family? You should view them with compassion, pity, and love. Why? Because you were once blind like them too. But by God's grace, now you see. Because you were no different than them when God's amazing grace came to you, were you? Yeah, but you don't know what they're like. You don't know how bad they are. We're talking like fools. It's only the root that supports us. Paul admonishes for all these branches that have been broken off from the church. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. He's admonishing us in how we view non-believers who were raised in the church and are are now living lives of, of unbelief. It's an admonishment. Then he turns to a warning. Beginning at the end of verse 20. Do not become proud, but fear. This is a warning. And in this context, here's what fear means. You had better fear God and make sure that you are resting in the sufficiency of Christ alone for salvation. Watch out and be careful not to misconstrue the gospel of Jesus Christ and fall into thinking that you did anything to deserve God's gracious favor more than others. Paul warns. Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness toward you provided, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is a very stern warning right on the heels of a very stern admonishment. If God did not spare the unbelieving natural Jewish branches who thought, oh, what did they think? Who thought that they deserved God's favor more than others, and He will not spare you and me. Note the kindness and severity of God. 
severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. That's a warning. Is God saying that it's up to us to stay saved? Of course not. Salvation is of the Lord. And because salvation is of the Lord, true saving faith that is born in heaven always continues to rest in the grace of God's kindness in Jesus Christ. It is a persevering faith. But God in His Word still graciously gives warnings to His children to stir them to a stronger persevering faith. This warning is for us. We need to continue in God's kindness. We need to continue to look to the cross almost as if it was brand new for us today. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones agrees that this is the way God works in His Word. These types of warnings are one of the ways in Scripture that God secures the perseverance of the saints because it reminds them anew of their utter, utter need for Christ and all the blessings that come to us in the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 32, the prophet wrote that God himself will put his fear into his children's hearts. We read it. So that they will not depart from him. Again though, Paul is not just speaking to believers in the church because the church is always, always a mixed community And these warnings are a bright, flashing, yellow, they're like bright, yellow, flashing signs to those outside of true faith that's calling to them. See your need for a Savior. See your sinfulness for what it really is. And your need for a Savior, and rest in God's Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Paul's warning to unbelieving branches. You can be in the church and partake of all of its outward privileges and yet fail to manifest true saving faith in Jesus Christ and so be cut off in unbelief. That's his warning to unbelievers in the church. Now, I want to talk to the children, the covenant children. How old are you? Well, if you're nine years old or older, you need to really listen. And if you're eight years old and younger, you need to really listen too. Here you are, kids. You have all these blessings around you. You can hear me preach, can't you? You can hear your Sunday school teacher teach. You can hear when Pastor Paul prays. 
and you can fellowship with everybody here week after week after week. You can even run around with your friends here at SGRC and have a ball, get hurt occasionally, but mostly laugh and have fun and learn to forgive and love your friends and play with them like crazy. You can experience all the wonderful worship that you're experiencing right now. You can experience all these things. The sacraments. And yet, if you fail to trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are in great danger. Great danger. Today is the day of salvation. The kingdom of God is at hand. Do not delay. That's your warning, children. And the warning to those who believe, which would certainly, I know, include a lot of you children that I just spoke with because you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Many of you are, is what I'm saying. The warning to the rest of us is to fear God and to not fall into thinking that we did anything to deserve God's gracious favor and that we deserve it more than those who are not experiencing it. And then last, Paul gives correction. Paul admonishes, he warns, and he corrects. He's already done some correcting all the way throughout this, hasn't he? He loves us so much. And God loves us so much that He disciplines us. He admonishes, warns, and corrects. Well, He's been correcting us. Well, for example, Paul has corrected us to show that right biblical thinking about the gospel and how we view unbelievers always flows out of a right theology of God. It just, you know, if we don't study in God's word who God is, we'll all be, always be looking from our perspective. Bad idea. Paul says, note then the kindness and severity of God. Our broad evangelical culture just wants to think that God is all love and kindness. That's not that's not correct. Note then, Paul says, the kindness and severity of God. As recipients of God's grace and kindness, this should secure our prayers and compassion toward unbelievers. We should be on the severe end. What about us says that we shouldn't? Accept God's amazing grace that brought us out of that blindness, out of, from underneath the burden of our sin. Praise be to God. But what will our attitude be toward those 
who don't know him, well, <laughs> they don't go to church like I do. I'm better than they are. Because I support the root. No. The root supports you. We can do a lot better toward unbelievers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And let us not fall into some strange kind of anti-gospel, anti-God, self-glorifying thinking that I am somehow better than anybody else in this world. We can do a lot better toward unbelievers. Those who have been raised in the church and 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 are living lives of unbelief now. Those who never went to church. We can just do a lot better with compassion and love toward unbelievers. Well, obviously the Apostle Paul thinks so. And obviously the Lord God who created us and saved us thinks so. Thus the admonishment, the warning, and the correction. Paul closes his thought by continuing to correct our thinking in verses 23 and 24. 23, and even they, the unbelieving Jews, that is, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. God is not finished with the Jewish people yet. And then he says to them, verse 24, for if you were cut off, I'm sorry, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated tree, nobody in their right mind takes a wild uh, olive tree and grafts it into a beautiful healthy, cultivated olive tree. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we have a foundation upon a Jewish Messiah and that for centuries, millennia, we were outside of God's covenantal blessings through faith in in this Jewish Messiah. But then he's turning around and he's saying, if I've done that for you, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? God is sovereign. And through Christ the root, He can and will be the cause of many Jewish conversions so that churches like ours will be blessed beyond description. For the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Pray for the salvation of the Jews so that they might, like our children, profess faith 
alone in Christ alone for salvation. Have a humble attitude of compassion toward all unbelievers, including unbelievers who were raised in the church and are now living lives of unbelief apart from God. You are not any better than them from heaven's viewpoint. By grace, though, the root supports you and me. And just a final closing practical note. There's a lot of unsaved people in my family. And you can name off particular sins that each one has. And you could go to the worst one, the most heinous. You could say, well, I'm going to cut that person out of the family. Listen, your family has been established by God, but it's not the church. And this is your opportunity to embrace them as best you can. And it won't be easy. But as far as my family goes, if I cut that person out, I've got to cut the person who was divorced three times out. And if I cut them out, I've got to cut the alcoholic out. And if I cut the alcoholic out, I've got to cut this person out. And then I won't have a family. That's not the purpose behind my statement. But as far as it is possible with you, live peaceably with them and open your hand with a welcome and loving uh, embrace. Now, often many of these people cut themselves off. Well, there's nothing we can do about that. We understand that. But from our part, that's my encouragement to you. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for such rich analogy and gospel meaning that leads us to say with John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Save us, O Lord, from the sin of pride. Help us to love unbelievers as you would have us to. For Christ's sake, amen.